making us an honorable people putting away our sin giving us new life new opportunity a new lease on life a new outlook a new vision everything's new when we're in Christ Jesus so we thank you that is the greatest blessing and we love you in Jesus name amen and praise God amen I I thought I'd talk to you a little bit about the story of salvation I've been trying to get through this material Um, I started uh, some aspects of it in Cleveland uh, but I think uh, I want to talk to you I want to talk to you about the story of salvation is told through the eyes of different people uh, that we're familiar with in the Bible especially in the Old Testament so I thought we would talk talk about the story of salvation as seen uh, as told by Ruth amen and um, it's interesting that uh, the promise of salvation or the promise of a new life the promise of uh, um, a life of productivity and joy and all of those things has been foretold throughout the Bible. The Bible is the great love story and it is a story of God's dealings with man but it's also the story of great promise and a faithful God who keeps his promise throughout generations. A God who won't fail you. A God who never lies to us. A God who tells us straight like it is. If we want to partake of his blessings we must hook up with him in covenant and we must walk out this covenant we walk out our promises to live for God is a wonderful privilege Uh, it is something that our, our ancestors the first man and woman Adam and Eve kind of missed out on Uh, they had a life in the garden and they had a life with God in the beginning but then they were able to lose that through disobedience and that's why obedience is so stressed in the the new covenant because we know that through one man's disobedience all men fell and so if that's true then to reverse that through one man's obedience all men can be saved and so we are thankful to the Lord for the gift of salvation and it didn't it was not without price for Jesus and it cannot be without price for us everything must be equal folks now I know people get real excited and say oh you know salvation's free you must accept it freely of your own free will but it will cost you something uh, you know to walk this life out uh, you know I'll hear people say things like oh you know when you're a Christian you can do anything you want to no you can't you signed up this like saying if you're married you can date again you understand what I'm saying you can't do what you want to do you know I had a husband and he wasn't saved you know I wasn't saved either when we got married I got saved first thank God but uh, he wasn't saved and he wouldn't let me play around I mean you can say some godly stuff and not know God just a thought you know so it's like natural for us to understand that if someone has done something for us that obligates us to reciprocate in some kind of way you know it's just normal we would have i i've had people walking in off the streets 
in our church over the years off and on and and you pray for them or or you know bless them in some way and they'll start looking for money to pull out of their pockets they that that's a show of gratitude it's not they're trying to pay for anything but it registers with them that this is something that's important for me this was a blessing for me i've got to do what i can to see if i can show my gratitude in some way you know it, it, that's all it is is an act of gratitude so i look at obedience as an act of gratitude toward god when he tells us to do something we should be the first in line to want to do it and do our part to make sure that god is pleased with us he only knows you you've got faith by what you do not so much what you say he hears you but he's waiting on some follow-up you know with with anybody uh you know i i can remember when i was a kid and my father would promise us things it was like boy you sat there and you counted the days until it came when that promise would be fulfilled for you and sometimes it got fulfilled and sometimes it didn't you know because people are people but we still look in anticipation and we look in expectation for the fulfillment of promises when somebody that that we know we have a relationship with has promised us something and it's the same thing with God he's promised us all these wonderful wonderful benefits and blessings in his covenant and I think he's got a right to expect that we would at least do what he asks us to do and commands us to do he commands for our benefit he's not really getting anything out of this what he wants us to do is walk in a certain way of righteousness so the blessings can come to us that's the only way they come is through our walk of righteousness and obedience to him and it's not hard because what he has done through Jesus Christ is empowered us to walk this out so it's not like you you don't have the power to do it you know the power is there if we'll reach for it you know many times we put things off and don't want to face them and don't want to confront them because we're afraid well in your own self you need to be but you're facing things now with the power of God behind you in every area of your life you know sometimes we just don't want to do certain things and and I understand that you know if we walk perfectly we'd be doing 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 all the time but at some point we got to face the music and get get those things got you know get get the nonsense out of the way and let's get down to business with God and so when we we mean business with God we reap the benefit of it totally so salvation really is not a person is not an event but it is a person and so that was one of the stunning things about Old Testament truth was salvation really was a person they referred to as the Messiah and so he would bring certain things with him when he came and so many times there were stories told about Messiah the prophets had prophesied about him when he would come this would happen and when he would come that would happen Uh, every year they had uh, a Passover meal where they would commemorate not only the salvation of the Jews from the in their release from uh Uh, the bondage and and the hard slavery of Egypt but it was also pointing to a savior and a redeemer who would come and save that nation when they would set up the Passover meal there was a a place setting left empty 
and there was nobody sat there but there was a cup of wine poured and there was a plate there and that was a an act of faith where they every year looked toward Messiah would sit there and so when Jesus came do you remember the last supper the last Passover meal and they were saying where are we going to eat the Passover it doesn't say it specifically in the Bible but I believe that that empty seat was finally filled and Jesus sat in that seat that they had always left empty for Messiah to sit in if he didn't sit there where did he sit that was his spot and so he always fulfills every promise and he always uh, looks uh, uh, to us to be obedient to him so that we can live a life that that is fulfilling just like his was do you know Jesus enjoyed his life I don't believe for one minute that he walked around every day dreading what was coming I think he walked in in anticipation he talked about when he ate the last supper he said uh, I have desired with great desire to sit here and that was that was his purpose that was his quest that was yes it was unpleasant but he looked beyond the unpleasantness you know that's a key for us You'll get through a lot of things if you look beyond the unpleasantness. You know, I can talk to the rug. If y'all don't want to hear what I got to say today, I will talk to the wall. I will talk to anything. Y'all act like a bunch of Presbyterians, like you're watching the clock waiting to get out of here. Huh? I said you can endure any unpleasantness if you look beyond it. Most of us get stuck there and we want to whine for 10 years. Huh? Because we ain't got so and so. Well whoever told you. You know people say I'm disappointed. Well you know if you didn't have an appointment for that you can't be disappointed. Who told you you had an appointment for all this gladness and joy and fun every day you have a you have an appointment for certain things in your life and all of those will be kept but God never promised you it was going to be hunky dory pleasant every day he said in the world you're going to have some trouble he said but you have cheer on the inside of you draw from it be of good cheer because I've overcome the world don't think about where you're at and what you're going through and see this is the wisdom of God because that's how Jesus lived every day he had to be full of joy and full of power to do his ministry how are you going to minister to people when you're looking forward to a great escape because your life's so miserable we have to look forward to goodness and mercy involved in everything we do every single day or this life would not be tolerable for anybody Christians included you got me and so what we have to do is understand that God has ordained goodness for us but it's a different kind of goodness it's not the worldly kind of goodness You know I look at people who have had great tragedies in their lives and they can look to some good coming out of it you know and as Christians we've been so over over faith taught.
and oversteeped in faith like you know faith is some magical formula but faith is something that you live in every day that you have to have to endure difficulty until that promise comes you know that's how we live by faith if faith isn't magic it's faith and God will will uh, reward the faithful those people who hold on to their faith in spite of whatever they're going through and that's the example we have in Jesus that's exactly how he lived he lived in the faith of I'm going to get my ministry done and I'm going to redeem these people there will come a day where the full price will be paid for every soul that wants to get out of hell I'm looking forward to that and so we need to look forward to our life in the same way yes there are great things but yes there are some difficulties and hardships too but God said be of good cheer because he has overcome the world you know how will the character of Christ be developed in us if we don't allow some difficulties to come and we learn how to master those not run away from them not wiggle out of them you can't divorce all your problems you understand what I'm saying you can't just go get a new one you know people ain't shoes people are people <laughs> you were doing the best you could in a relationship. You wouldn't want nobody trading you in for something new either. So we have to we have to learn how to walk this walk with God. But I'm telling you, He's given us all the help that we need. We have the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, who is cheering us on and spurring us on and and leading us and guiding us, telling us which way to turn. You know when to put on your blinkers and when to shut them off and all that kind of good stuff so that we can we can fine-tune our walk with God through obedience to the Holy Spirit so God wants us to understand this great salvation that he's given us and so we're going to talk about that Uh, when when in the Old Testament when people thought about salvation one of the things that 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 they had on a regular 50-year basis was the year of Jubilee and when we look at jubilee we see many of the elements of salvation wrapped up in that and so i'm going to take you to uh, um, the book of leviticus starting in chapter one because when jesus came he said today is the day of salvation and now is the appointed time remember when he talked about the anointing in luke chapter 4 he got up and read the scripture from uh, the book of isaiah where it said the spirit of the lord god is upon me because he has anointed me to preach deliverance to the captives recovering of sight of the blind to declare the acceptable year of the lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Day of vengeance of our God means restoration of all things. That means that God's more interested in you getting your stuff back than you are. Because the first thing that we think when somebody tells us, well, God wants you to pray about uh, getting uh, getting your house back. Say you lost a home in a foreclosure, and many people have lost many things. You know, you keep living, and you're going to see how common it is for people to suffer loss. 
But you know how church people are. When somebody, when your life ain't going right, everybody looks at you and wonder what you, what you do wrong. You must have some sin in your life. And uh, yeah, we all got some sin in our lives. But you know what? He's overcome that for me. He's forgiven my sins if I confess them. So that's not a, an excuse for not receiving what you're supposed to have. But people get fearful about recovery because they wonder what's it going to cost me to get that huh or you get religious christians and well you know god told me i'm gonna get something else no you need to get back what the devil stole from you you understand me i mean that's just how common is that to you know if somebody snatched your purse out there on the street whether you can run fast or not you'd be taken off after them you understand what I'm saying? everybody's got that retrieval got that vengeance on the i want my stuff back huh even if you don't like it so much it's mine huh? and I want it back and so when, when we understand that God wants to avenge us he wants he hates that the devil stole us from him this is God's battle he's the one that's offended he is the one that's why he said vengeance belongs to me he said I'm the one who owns everything if the devil's stealing from anybody stealing from me and so when we understand that God is highly invested in us because he's the one who blesses us with everything everything belongs to him anyway so the devil's stealing from God first we were just custodians of it amen didn't know how to hold on to it like taking candy from a baby you know they many of the things you just see the the devil uh the bible talks about him uh taking people captive at his will you know he's so such a slickster and such a master of deception before you know it you've lost things to the enemy and so when god gives you opportunity to get them back you jump on it say yes lord i want my property back i want everything the devil has stolen from me i don't want to go down to defeat one minute to that rascal i want it back you don't think about your pride and what you think and what's that going to look like to people people aren't looking at you but God is and God wants to see you restored in every way so the year of Jubilee was really a year of restoration of all things people look forward to it you know it's like it's it's better than looking forward to that little tax return you know which is they took too much from you and they've been holding your money for a year and we look at it like it's a bonus or something that's your money to start with huh really the government to be honest with you they do it for their own ability to withdraw money but there was a time when taxes were paid uh physically you know they didn't have this withholding stuff where they got your money in advance you know anybody else that keeps your money like that would have to pay you interest on it just a thought folks don't don't get all slap happy because you get get excited because you're oh, I'm getting some money that's your money what are you excited about you need to get mad and say you know what uncle sam from now on i'm considering that a loan you pay me some interest on my money you understand what i'm saying my late husband used to say all the time he said if i ever get a chance just to get my money and keep it and pay my taxes when it's due he said i'm gonna take it he never did but guess who gets to do it 
They don't get nothing from me until April 15th. I always get an extension. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> they can't withhold nothing on me. Thinking about these people. They have never given account for how they spend it. I look out here. I see all these people not working with cell phones. And you know I say well what's that? That's my Obama phone. No that's my phone. Huh? I don't know what he do with his taxes, but I know I pay taxes. That's my phone you got. And I didn't give you permission to get it either. <laughs> I remember when they passed that law, FCC wanted to make sure people who lived in rural areas could dial 911. And those little phones used to be only, it was an SOS phone. And if you got an emergency, you didn't have a house phone, you know, you had a, well, listen, people been getting 911 before they had phones. You understand what I'm saying? And so now we want to make it all equal and, and for everybody to get everything for free. Well, I'm not for all that stuff so but let's not go there I'm, I'm done with that but it's it's a ripoff it really is a lot of these phone people have five and six phones they deal drugs with government phones mm-hmm. I don't watch my bad people shows for nothing huh? <laughs> you find out what the dealio is for real they get family members to go get them free phones and their burner phones for the drug dealers, huh? <laughs> you know, we need to wake up and start start understanding. God never told us we could have things for free. Said so if you don't work, you don't eat. And so we, you know, it's a dignity for people to be able to work and not beg. That's why the Bible promises that your seed will never beg. Amen. They won't get so hungry they have to put their hand out. Your seed will always have provision. That's to maintain their dignity and maintain their ability to live right. So you won't get anything begging. You see. That's not God ordained. So the year of Jubilee was a year of restoration of things that property that belonged to people. This wasn't a handout and it wasn't a freebie and it wasn't something that was not earned. So in Leviticus chapter 25 you'll see the, the uh, story of that. All the terms of that covenant year of Jubilee. So we said that Jesus brings Jubilee with him. He is our Jubilee. When he comes and brings his spirit to dwell in you, he is your Jubilee. Which means out of his spirit, you will be able to obtain everything that God ordains for your life and for godliness. You will be able to uh, receive things that, that God is restoring to you. You know, I don't know about you, but over the years, I've just had blessings drop on me out of nowhere. Sometimes I prayed for them, and often I did not. They just would come into my possession. Well, did you did you ever stop to think that might be an inheritance that was robbed, maybe from your parents or your grandparents or somebody else that God is now blessing and visiting on your life? He sees to it that everything that's due you is returned to you. And so we we can't outdo God in his blessing. We can't outdo him in his goodness. 
So when Jesus announced that that day was a day of salvation, he announced that it was a day of the Messiah. Many people who understood messianic prophecy correctly identified Jesus as the one who was coming to return all things to them. Many people thought of it like we do now only in a material sense. But Jesus came to get at the root of the problem of humanity which was sin. What good would it do for us to for God to give us the whole world and we lose our souls? So he takes care of the soul redemption issue first. That's the first order of business. He came to forgive sins, redeem your soul from the pit of hell. People who were self-righteous, the religious, didn't think they needed salvation. They didn't think because they didn't think they sinned. They thought because they washed their hands often when they came in and washed their feet when they came in the door and uh, you know did all these rituals and so forth that they were fine. And so they were the ones who often criticized Jesus. You know the Pharisees and the doctors of the law that sat on the front row. They sit there trying to figure out if he was saying things right according to the scriptures. You know uh, my thing is. Uh, just flow with the spirit and watch for a miracle you understand what I'm saying who cares if if he's got every jot and tittle straightened out it's amazing I remember reading brother Hagin's uh, books uh, many many years ago and he talked about how the anointing would work through different individuals and so forth and so on and and uh, he would say uh, he said you know I've seen God use people who were basically illiterate he said you could barely understand what they were preaching he said but when the anointing fell everybody understood what God was doing you understand my uh, and so we need to be less concerned about the little picky things that we get concerned about more concerned about what God is doing in the midst of us and so that was what Jesus came to focus on is revealing the father to the people so in Leviticus chapter 25 I'll start in verse 1 and this is talking about jubilee and what that meant and what it means to to the Jewish people and so you can relate as to what's going on here uh, it, it says in verse 1 the Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai speak to the Israelite and say to them when you enter the land I'm going to give you so you see all of our blessings are given by God they're not earned obedience does not earn anything I must say it again obedience does not earn anything what obedience does is it keeps you in in the realm of blessing if you look at obedience as belonging to God's kingdom and disobedience as belonging to Satan's what you're doing when you obey God is you're positioning yourself in the right neighborhood so you can be blessed you don't take three steps and God gives you one thing and you take three more and he gives you another thing. You're to abide with him. You're to live with God. You're to live in the land that he lives in and live in his presence. You can only do that by obeying him. And obeying him by faith. 
Because if you're not believing that you're with God, you're soon going to quit and drop out. And so there's a great uh, uh, obligation on our part in living by faith that we understand God, understand his word, understand when we're being obedient, understand when we're being disobedient and choose to obey him. That just keeps you close to him, keeps you in his realm so that when your blessing comes due, he won't have to go looking for you. (laughs) He said, oh here you are, receive you're right by me receive huh? so you can live in a lifestyle of continual blessing because you walk closely to God it, it's a great thing it's a wonderful thing because when I found the Lord I was, I was depressed and, and couldn't really function very well without reassurance I I stay very close to God constant reassurance from him and that trained me to feel more at home living close to God than living out there and coming to visit God when I needed something you understand what I'm saying it just it was more more natural for me and I thank God for for that training because I see many people struggle so hard just to stay in the spirit and I don't understand why It, it feels more more natural to me or more akin to me just personally to walk close to God than it does to walk out there and you know try to be careful about everything and try to watch every it's just a nightmare he died for you to get out of that nightmare of wondering about yourself and wondering if you're doing the wrong thing should I do this and should I do that uh, in God there's a knowing there's a continual knowing all the time of the right way to go and so we, we have to really trade that in for the right thing and that's part of your jubilee living a jubilee life is a life that's carefree because you trust God and you know how to connect with him and you stay connected with him and you don't break connection with him I know it's sometimes hard for people to give up little worldly things that they like you know you, uh, you know my husband was one of those people that every year when we weren't saved we went to the jazz festival you know and I got sick of going I was a sinner I got sick of going you know fight would break out you couldn't you know I wasn't a dope smoker but you know you kind of got got to be one if you sat there long enough you understand what I'm saying I'm like, man <laughs> I drank bourbon you understand what I'm saying but uh, you know but but you know you you, you it was such a relief when I found the Lord and I knew there was a peace where you didn't have to go looking for some excitement all the time or looking for some fun all the time. That wasn't the quest of your life, you know. And uh, he had some friends and they would say, oh, I make my reservations. Uh, when I check out, I make a reservation for the next year and all this. And that gets to be your status, you know. It's, it's really sick. It's just sick. It really is. And so I was very, very glad when we didn't have to go go anymore you know and listen to these crazy people and all that stuff I told you about the last time I went the devil wanted to start fighting and had a couple fighting each other it seems like every time I go there's a big fight somewhere you know ridiculous you know I like the life of peace you know and I like that ever since I was born again I chose peace over everything it's not you know don't think because you're not 
old yet that you got to live for excitement you know my excitement is seeing somebody get up out of a wheelchair you know seeing somebody get blessed and get born again you know weep when you pray for them and they're grateful that they got prayer you know and that kind of stuff so you trade that worldly joy in for a supernatural joy and and I could do that every day I really could so Leviticus 25 he talks about the year of Jubilee he says tell the people he says when you enter the land I'm going to give you and it's given the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord so everything rests on the seventh day or the seventh year that's just mandatory seventh day you didn't do any work in your field so the, the land rested on the seventh day of the week and then it also rested for a year on the seventh year he said for six years sow your fields for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops but in the seventh year the land is to have a year of sabbath rest a sabbath to the lord do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards it's no labor whatsoever do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines the land is to have a year of rest whatever the land year yields during the sabbath year will be food for you for yourself your male and female servants the higher so see god is telling them don't worry everybody will be fed if you follow my system it takes faith to follow god's system that's always in play you're not going to see it all with your natural eyes but if you will believe God and trust him the provision is there he said I provided not just for a few people in other words you won't have to make the decision as to who is going to eat and who's going to go hungry you won't have to make a decision as to how far this food is going to go he said I made provisions for you your male and female servants your hired workers and temporary residents who live among you you know sometimes people read this and say how he know uncle buck was living with me this year <laughs> god sent uncle buck there because he didn't have no place else to go so god said i'll even provide for uncle buck too and he says as well as your livestock and the wild animals in your land god said i'm providing for everything i am god i make provision for everybody i create Everybody that's on this earth, if they look to me, there is provision for them. That's been proven so many times it's it's beyond ridiculous that people would doubt God anymore. But we do, you know. You'll go to some remote areas, in desert areas, in, in continents where there's a lot of desert or there's a lot of mountain region. And you'll see a little revival break out and people start uh, planting crops and start harvesting and so forth. We see that, you know, in our, our readings on the persecuted church. You see where people start farming the land they begin to prosper because God was with them so he has provision for everybody he says count off seven sabbaths in other words seven times seven years so that the seven sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years 
And he says, Then have the trumpet sound everywhere on the tenth day of the seventh month on the day of atonement. That was always their holy day. Everything was governed beginning with that day. God wants people to start off holy. So the day of the atonement was the day when your sins were forgiven. And you brought the sacrifices in. You got a clean start. That's salvation. That is a picture of our salvation. So the day of atonement for them and the day you were born again for you is the day when your new life starts in God. And your jubilee starts. Your life of jubilee starts. He said sound the trumpet throughout the land if you if you really want to break this down. Trumpet is the person who announces the year Jubilee. For Jesus who was his trumpet that announced him? John the Baptist. Don't be scared. Just read your Bible and spit out what you read. It's real easy. <laughs> but John the Baptist sounded the trumpet announcing the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He announced, what did he announce? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Same thing the high priest announced on the day of atonement. Repent, for God is forgiving your sins for the whole year. And this is a clean start for you. Same thing. And he says proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family or own family property and your own clan. Hmm. I can go back home. Ooh, I cussed everybody out in the house before I left God. You don't know what I did. He said no go back home. That I've told them to forgive you. So it's a family restoration and forgiveness huh, of sins. I remember going through my life one by one forgiving people. Father I thank you. I am saved now. And I want to let you know. I'm not holding anything against so and so and such and such. And you know even I went to even certain people. And and repented and asked forgiveness for them. It was important to me to follow through on that. To bring peace and reconciliation. You have to do this as a Christian. I don't know how people can just live. And so when the day came for me to be able to witness to certain people in my family. There was nothing standing between us. We had no problems all the way down the line. Last person was my sister Jackie. And I remember washing her feet in one of our our services. She had started coming to the meetings. And I washed her feet. And I told her, I said, Jackie, if I've done things to you. I said, I remember we didn't get along when we were at home she said oh just you know we wept and we forgave one another these things are very important that was the first order Jesus gave at the tomb whosoever sins you forgive are forgiven whosoever sins you retain are retained you don't retain anybody's sin it's a jubilee you forgive everybody and you go ask for forgiveness that's what it's for that's how the family reconciliation happened you didn't just go start living with people with animosity you had to make sure that things were made right and so jubilee is very very heavy on on repentance and forgiveness and and that kind of thing why because God is telling you he's forgiven your sins 
when you can have everything restored the only thing that was holding you back was some disobedience or some sin you can get that restored so he says there he says uh, consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty through all the land through all it, it all inhabitants it shall be a jubilee for you each of you is returned to your family property your own clan 50th year shall be a jubilee for you don't sow don't reap amen don't go about business as usual don't get nervous about your provision and go get a second job just so you can rack up more bills and don't get those paid don't use your own little wits to make your life trust me during this year that's what God's saying trust me I've taken care of all of that trust me I've got it all taken trust me I know what you need and I made provision for that so jubilee signifies an era of trusting God in your life every day every day for every need you trust him and he says the 50th year shall be a jubilee to year this is verse 11 don't sow don't reap what grows of itself or harvest the untended vine for it is a jubilee and it is to be holy for you eat only what is taken directly from the fields so this puts them this is a a reference back to the days of Moses when they went out every day and picked manna and it grew and you couldn't store it You you had to daily seek God see God is teaching people how to trust him you can't trust somebody you can't get in contact with on a regular basis you ever had to needed somebody to respond to a phone call and you left a message and it's days and you have at some point you say i need to go call somebody else because it doesn't look like they're returning my call well that's what god feels about us when we don't contact him every day not returning my calls I left word for them to meet with me every day. It's all over the Bible. Give us this day our daily bread. How can you ask for bread for every day if you don't talk to him every day? Mm -hmm. Here it is the same thing with Jubilee. Every day go out and pick manna from heaven. Every day go out and pick just what you need from your field and don't try to make a big harvest. Now why didn't why didn't God allow them to harvest you out there on Friday? You got plans for kicking it on Saturday and Sunday. Why can't I get enough God for two days? Huh? Why can't I get enough for two days? God in Jubilee you are it is a faith life storing up for more than one day means that you are relying on your own methods and you are not living by faith so the life of jubilee is a life that must be lived by faith every day looking for provision not trying to go out and make a big harvest the other temptation is for a person that harvests a lot when greed starts getting involved there you know the first thing they think of oh look how much i got i could go down to the uh to the you know the the city gate and let them weigh this out and pay me for it 
So Jubilee can be a time of merchandising and selling to people. If you see, this is a lot of temptation here is opened up in this situation because you got everybody else out there obeying God, getting enough provision. Well, if Joe, if Joe, uh, Joe Blow down the street didn't gather enough for his family today, they're gonna be hungry. I'm gonna keep some and I can sell it to him. See what I'm saying? This is what Jesus got got after the Pharisees about. Is merchandising. If that's not your call, don't get involved in it. He told them, don't take advantage of one another. That was their main thing, is everybody's to trust God. And when you find somebody who doesn't have enough, you don't take advantage of them by selling to them. Mm-hmm. You have to watch what you do and around your, your godly people. You know, I've had things that I put in a bookstore and I said, well, you know, we can make a little bit of money. I wind up giving them away because people don't come in and spend money. You understand what I'm saying? They just keep going. They'll go to a Christian bookstore or go anywhere else, go online, but they'll, they won't do that. You understand what I'm saying? And so you have to constantly remind people, you know, we got this in the bookstore if you want it. You understand what I'm saying? But people, their minds are already fixed on how they're going to do certain things. So Sometimes they work out and sometimes they just do not. So he says if you sell land, he said, he said for it is a jubilee and holy for you. Holy means none of your shenanigans. Don't you be trying to figure out a way to make money off my people. These ain't your people, these are mine. He says, everyone is to return. He says, uh, for it is uh, a jubilee, verse 12, for it is a jubilee and, and is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. In other words, go out there and get enough for today. But God, it might spoil. I'm looking at this today and it's looking mighty right. Don't worry about it. God's taking care of you. You don't, in other words, you put your mind at ease, little flock. Don't worry about it. Just obey and do what he tells you to do. He said as a jubilee is only be taken directly from the fields. Verse 13. In this year jubilee everyone is returned to his own property. If you sell land to any of your own people or buy land from them. Don't take advantage of each other. You are to buy from your own people on the basis of the number of the years since jubilee. They are to sell to you on the basis of the number of the years left for harvesting crops. So God has a formula of fairness for everything. I mean if you ever get get uh, you know question or you ever question what's fair and what's right. Ask God. He got an answer for you. He had one for these people and he has one for us. He says. And they are to sell to you on the basis of the number of years left for harvesting crops. When the years are many, you increase the price. When the years left are few, you decrease the price. Because what is really being sold to you is the number of crops. Do not take advantage of one another. Twice he says that, but fear God. I am the Lord your God. Follow my decrees. Be careful to obey my laws. And you will live safely in the land. Amen. Then the land will yield its fruit. So he's giving us the key for our security, our safety, our well-being, our health, our wealth, our, our provision, our prosperity, our strength. It's obedience to him. 
He says when the land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill and live there safely. You may ask what will we eat in the seventh year if we don't plant or harvest crops. He said you can ask that question. Don't hurt to ask. He said I got an answer for you. I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. So not only is he giving you enough for one year that you lay off but two besides in case you get a slow start. You understand? He gives you excess and abundance over and above your need. You see that throughout the Bible. That is so consistent with God. Is the abundance that he provides. He says while you plant during the eighth year. You will eat from the old crop. And will continue to eat from it. Until the harvest of the ninth year comes in. The land must not be sold permanently. Why? Because it ain't yours. He said it belongs to me. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It don't belong. You can't say permanent nothing. Huh? You just have to obey God. I I don't care who you are. If you leave this earth you don't take nothing with you. So that proves it ain't yours. If it was yours you could take it. You got me? It ain't yours. You need to do what God tells you to do with it. And that's true about everything. Amen. Your children aren't yours. Your husband ain't yours. Amen. (laughs) And don't everybody say thank you. No. (laughs) Ain't nobody else's either but God. You understand what I'm saying? He don't belong to People get strange ideas. You have to clarify everything. (laughs) <laughs> so the land must not be sold permanently because it's mine. You reside in my land as foreigners or strangers. Throughout the land that you hold as a possession, you must provide for the redemption of the land. In other words, it must be uh, repurchased again and given back to the original owner. If one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, the nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. And that's what we're going to focus on today. About the near kinsman redeemer who comes to put you back into your inheritance. So the Israelite never lost anything permanently. Now let me tell you what that does for you if you really think about it. If you know... That you cannot lose anything permanently. That will make you a little more confident in stepping out. It will make you a little bit bolder in obeying God. It will motivate you to step out in confidence. And it it should. If it doesn't it should. Because really when you think about it. You're living in a sandbox. And you're worried about a few grains of sand that might be missing. You see what I'm saying? God says that you don't lose anything permanently. So what are you scared of? You can't lose anything permanently. So what's your fear? What's holding you back from stepping out and doing what God's told you to do? Amen. There's security there and there's safety there. What what stops? I look at some people and they talk about wanting to do something forever. You understand what I'm saying? It's like they never get tired. It's like they live off of a conversation. 
And I'm thinking to myself, well, step out and do it. God's with you. Step out. He's with you. Step out. But suppose, suppose you get it right. You understand what I'm saying? You're just like, why you do think that way? But, but you can't lose anything permanently. And that's a, this should be a reassurance. Well, God, I see it. You know, if I can't lose it permanently, I'm going to step out and try this and see if you're with me. You know, that's what I would do. That's, you know, that's easy to do. Step out, try it, see if he's with you. If he's not with you, uh, people will talk about you. That's just a given. They talk about you anyway. So what do you care? You want to obey God. You know, you know, he shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have done this. And she, oh, look at that. Yeah, we didn't get it. Just like our building, we just left. Oh, what she do? What we do all this for? I don't know about Pastor Bosch. He getting up there in years. Maybe them, them little gray cells is disintegrating daily. She ain't got it no more. All right. You watch God restore everything. You just watch Him restore everything. See, I can't shrink back in fear. And not make a move because I'm afraid God's not with me. That would be the only reason that that you would not be. And if he's not with you in that, you can repent and get him with you. See, I know a secret that people who watch don't know. But be be ye hereby informed. (laughs) How you think you get up every morning. It's not by doing everything right. By his mercy. So Jesus came to bring jubilee to all of his people. He has a plan for if one of your brethren become poor. And he says the nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. If however there is no one to redeem it for them. But later on they prosper and acquire sufficient means to redeem it himself. They are to determine the value of the. Now God has a formula for telling you what your land is worth. Based on the number of years it's been in somebody else's possession. You understand what he got everything. Everything you don't have to guess about nothing. In. He knows what you need to do down to the penny. He says if they don't acquire the means to repay, verse 28, what was sold will remain in the possession of the buyer till the year of Jubilee and will be returned in the year of Jubilee and they can go back to their own property. So God has a never lose. His kids are not losers. Okay? They're not losers. <clears throat> So in in what God wants to do though with us, he wants us to enjoy our Jubilee year. What some of the things we went over is there's in verse 10 we saw there's a return of property and family. Restoration of all things. No labor. It's a holy year. In other words, you cease from your own works. Just stop it. Because some of us are little workaholic people. And just busy all the time. Just stop it and get holy. Rest in God. Verse 14. Everything will be fair and just. That's the year of Jubilee. And and think about what Jesus did when you look at these. Number verse seventeen. Don't take advantage of one another. He came proclaiming justice and liberty to all who were oppressed of the devil. Verse eighteen. Safety for the obedience. And verse nineteen. The year before is a bumper crop year. 
And that always signaled the start of Jubilee. When the Israelite looked out and saw all that stuff on this. Oh Jubilees look at the provision. And they got excited. They got excited when they saw that evidence that the Jew. When you see three years worth of crop come up in one year, you never seen that before. That's that's the Amos nine thirteen blessing, folks. That's the season we're in now. Poverty ends for everybody in the year of jubilee. It ends for everybody. That's why Jesus preached, "Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God." Amen. So, a recovering of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are bound to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So, we're going to talk about Ruth now and how she entered into her jubilee. She was not an Israelite, but she had a jubilee. Anywho. So I think that's a good example of us. We start out outside of the covenants of God. Nobody's born in the kingdom of God. You may have a, a, a call to be saved, but you got to respond to the call. <clears throat> it's an individual uh, decision anymore, and it's not a cultural thing like it was with the Israelites. But anyhow, some background information on on uh, Ruth. She is the widowed daughter-in-law of a, a Hebrew woman named Naomi. Naomi and her husband and her two adult sons uh, went to the land of Moab. They sojourned there, which means <clears throat> when people would travel around, oftentimes they did it for survival reasons. Uh, they find they can't prosper in the land where they are, so. They they get to moving. A common practice was to go to the most, the largest and most prosperous land that there was. Uh, but sometimes wisdom will tell you to just tough it out where you are. Even though it's lean and it's mean, sometimes it's the best thing for you. Uh, Abraham went down to Egypt several times and when his son Isaac saw a famine he was going to do the same thing and carry on a bad family tradition. But God moved him up higher than his dad was even though Abram was eventually made very rich and was a very great man. God's plan for Isaac was even greater. Amen. The glory of the latter house second generation God ordains that that would be greater than the former. It seldom happens but that's God's plan anyway. Very often when your kids are raised in the things of God they'll take it for granted and think they can have instant miracles all the time, instant prayers answered. They put forth no effort to do it. So you have to be careful in training them. You have to discipline them and train them the right way. And it looks like uh, Ruth, their family, Elimelech was her husband's name and they kind of lacked faith, confidence, discipline. Uh, something drove them instead of staying in Bethlehem uh, you know which uh, is God's house you understand what I'm saying that was God's land for them they had property there they had all kinds of things there when when Isaac went to go to Egypt God told him just to sow just sow in that year it was a famine that year but he sowed and he reaped a hundredfold return just by being obedient to God and so there's always blessing and provision where you are because you carry the blessing with you 
if you're only smart enough to release it where everybody else is releasing it you're not getting the maximum out of your blessing so God told Isaac he said I don't want you going anywhere other than where I tell you he said, I'm going to teach you how to trust me in a greater way than your father did and so he was there and he sowed and you know the story reaped a hundredfold in that year. You know, he didn't have to wait for it. He didn't starve and he didn't suffer. But God took care of him. Why? Because he did what God told him to do. And so Ruth uh, being Naomi's daughter-in-law the interesting thing about disobedience and moving out of sync with God is that you don't prosper and in this situation of Naomi's husbands and husband and two sons they all died left the women alive but the men died as heads of household men have to be careful to be obedient to what God tells them to do because the whole family can suffer but God holds them accountable for their disobedience so they died in the land where they disobeyed God and so that leaves Naomi and that leaves her two daughters-in-law a girl named Orpha and a, a, a woman named Ruth Naomi tells these women in chapter 1 to go home she said there's no reason why you should be hanging around me and she even gets ridiculous with them she said if you're waiting for me to get married again and have some more sons they'll be too young for you <laughs> you know stop it you're being ridiculous now Ruth and Orpha get lost Orpha does, does return home she gets convinced that she needs to stay with her people but uh, Ruth has a different plan in chapter 1 verse 6 Ruth says don't urge me verse 16 don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you where you go I will go where you stay I will stay your people will be my people and your God my God now that's a famous phrase of scripture whether thou goest I will go whether thou lodgest I will lodge your people shall be my people your God my God up until the last sentence I think Ruth thought you know get lost but when she said your God will be my God that was the convincer because the Hebrew could not turn away somebody who was a convert when somebody wanted your God you embraced them you could not say no to them just like when we lead people to the Lord it's the same thing she led and they uh she led Ruth to the Lord and so when Ruth declared allegiance to her God and she put herself in covenant with God then that obligated Naomi to care for her and to continue to look out for her and to teach her the ways of the Lord she was entitled then to all the privileges that a Hebrew woman would receive because they if somebody wants your God you don't turn them away the Hebrew couldn't turn them away just like we can't turn them away and so when she heard that from Ruth she quit telling her it says right here he says when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined not just to go with her but also to accept her God she stopped telling her no so the women went on until they came to Bethlehem when they arrived in Bethlehem the whole town was stirred because of them and the women exclaimed can this be Naomi 
And she said don't call me Naomi. She said call me bitter because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. And I've had a tough time. Well you know maybe you shouldn't have gone. Because people in the town where you left are prospering and thriving. And you're coming back empty handed. But it wasn't Naomi's decision to go. She was following the leading of the head of her household who was her husband. So these two women wind up there. Naomi is very bitter. She's upset because the years haven't treated her well. Part of it is because she's been living in a strange land. The Moabites were a people who were given to a lot of sexual immorality. Um, And God always warned his people about this. He said don't get involved with them people. Do not be unequally yoked, believer with unbeliever. Was the same, it's the same now as it was then. He told he would tell them, he said, Lead them people alone, don't meddle with them, don't get involved with them, because you will get convinced to serve their God. It never happens the other way around. Why doesn't it happen the other way around? Now I know I've seen people in all kind of level of belief and unbelief in God and oh I met so and so and well they're not a believer yet. When they say that it's like well, what are you doing with them? Huh? Well we just friends. Uh, what fellowship does light have with darkness? What do you talk about to somebody who doesn't know your God? I wouldn't know the first thing to say to somebody except, do you want to receive Christ? (laughs) I'm going to pray for you. Can I do something for you? But we ain't friends, we ain't pals, we ain't buds, we ain't BFFs, we ain't nothing like that. You understand? I got my own people to hang around with. But Naomi... Then when they go back to to uh, Bethlehem, uh, Ruth is there as a uh, um, somebody who they know now is wanting God because she leaves the land that she came from and she clings to her mother-in-law. So Naomi, uh, uh, Ruth is kind of like on tryout to see how sincere she is about serving God. You all know what that's like. You've been around people that because you were new in the things of God, they watched you. (laughs) See if you're really saved. (laughs) You watched yourself to see if you're really saved. (laughs) The devil will take your salvation away from you every every minute of every day. And so... uh, Ruth though she's a humble woman because she sees herself as somebody there to learn about God. She's not there to take her, her old patterns to Bethlehem with her. When she says your God will be my God. Something in Naomi must have convinced her throughout the years. That she was a different kind of woman. She was a woman who carried herself differently. And, and Ruth wanted that. You know, there's there's times when people look at us as believers. They look at you and they see something that they want. If you learn how to carry yourself humbly before God and stay close to God, there is not a person that on earth that God won't reveal to them something about himself through you. And this is what happened between Naomi and Ruth. The Moabite people, if you remember their history, they were the last uh, uh, 
uh, rescue or or escapees from the land of Sodom. It was Lot and his two daughters. Uh, they they escaped to the hills, and they were the only three people living there. And the daughters convinced the dad, or got him drunk, and they had children by him. And this is how they were. That whole nation of people were born out of incest, and they lived that way. They lived very lewd and very loose and and worship Baal the whole nine yards they were just a really really rough bunch of people and so they might the Israelite might look and say what kind of good stuff could come out of Moab but you see them over the years they mixed in with them off and on and and all that kind of stuff got into trouble with God because of the Moabite people the same way Lot did with Abraham <laughs> Lot caused Abraham more trouble than his herds and his flocks did. So, so anyway, but but that's a different story. So anyway, Ruth and, and Naomi show up in Bethlehem, and the barley harvest is on. In uh, chapter one and verse twenty-two, it says Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So they're there in a time of uh, labor but also it's a time of great blessing because there had been a famine in Bethlehem. You notice that there are many people that survived the famine there. You survive by obeying God. You don't survive by getting up and making your own way. So when she comes back empty handed that's a testimony that something is wrong in their life and something was wrong when they moved. In chapter 2 it says here that Naomi verse 1 has a relative on her husband's side a man of standing from her family clan her husband's clan of Elimelech whose name was Boaz and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi let me go in the fields and pick up leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor so what they did was they looked for a place now there was a law in Israel that forbade the Israelite to harvest all of his crop uh, you know the story. There are stories about gleaners. That is people who don't own land. They're actually poor people. But they are allowed. And this was a tradition not only in Israel. But you saw it many times in in the um, uh, feudal times in Europe. Where if there were great big property owners. They would harvest the main of the, the grain and the crop. And after they were done with their harvest harvesting they let gleaners in who would come and pick up little bits of grain like little kernels of wheat that had fallen and they that's how they lived God never intended us to wait for a handout you must work for a living and this is what the gleaner did he went in and worked for what he had he didn't own it it was given to him uh, uh, out of the goodness of the heart of the property owner but they had to work to get it what the Israelite did was if he had a parcel of land a rectangular piece of land he would harvest in a circular fashion but leave all the four corners intact they were never harvested by the property owner it was done that way because if a person were hungry they could come to the edge of the property 
and take what they want. So really what you're doing is you're coming to the edge of the property taking just what you can take and going back. You never went and put your footprints over the whole property. Why not? Huh? No, why not? If you put your footprints every place that your feet of your you're possessing there properly illegally. You got me? They could get you for trespassing. And so what they did was they left the corners that also preserved the person's dignity. You got me? Nobody would know that you were poor. Nobody would know that you were hungry. You just went to the edge of the property. You got enough for yourself. And you went home and you fed your family. That's how it worked. And so when Ruth goes out, she goes into the field and she says, Just let me find somebody who will let me pick up a few grains. And so she finds herself not planned but in Boaz's field Naomi said to her go ahead my daughter so she went out she she checks with Naomi first this is very important Naomi becomes like the Holy Spirit remember like um, uh, who was the other girl Esther and in Mordecai her uncle Mordecai represents the Holy Spirit guiding Esther so is Naomi guiding Ruth the same way the Holy Spirit guides us when we're saved you got it so this is a picture of salvation and she says when Boaz had just arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters the Lord be with you etc etc and Boaz notices Ruth People who are property owners must know everybody who's on their property. And so he says, who is this girl? And and they tell her. And he says, uh, the overseer replies, she's a Moabite who came with Naomi. And he says, please let me glean. She said, let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. So she is doing something that is usually not done. What is she doing? If she's walking behind the harvesters, she's actually planting her feet on the property. Amen. Is that legal or illegal for her? It's legal. Because her husband was part owner in that property. You got me? So she has an inheritance through her husband that died. She and her mother-in-law. So so they they allow her to gather Boaz then starts noticing her and begins to put her to a test. Amen. He gives her instruction. She starts out small. She gleans. She takes home some a harvest for that day. She takes home enough barley. She's gathered. She and Naomi are both delighted in that. And so they find out that uh, that the family inheritance is intact. Boaz tells her in verse 8, he says, My daughter, listen to me. Don't glean in another field and don't go away from here. So he starts to draw her closer to him. Because he knows that he's the one who can redeem property for her. She's not quite aware of it yet. 
He says stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. In other words don't throw you out because that's what they do with trespassers. Wherever you are thirsty go and get a drink from the water uh, the water jars that the men have filled. After this she bowed down her face to the ground and asked him. Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? And he replied, I have been told all about you. In other words, I know who you are. I know what type of person you are. He said, and I am putting you to the test as to whether you qualify as somebody who would be my wife. Now she doesn't know about Israelite customs and all of that. She's learning as she goes. So I've been there. Learn as you go. Make mistakes. Get corrected. Stay humble. But humble yourself and, and make it through the test of obedience. So she starts to go through that test of obedience. In uh, verse 5 Boaz notices her. And then he inquires of her and talks to her. He speaks to her personally in verse 8 and invites her to come near to him and her uh, and her provision but puts her under a test of obedience and faithfulness and chastity and integrity. He says it all in that one sentence. Don't go chasing in other fields. Huh? That's what the the lewd women do. Uh, what you running from field to field. God does the same thing with us. Don't go anywhere to but to me for what you need. Amen. Because I am your God. And so he, he then invites her. And verse 14 is very important. At mealtime Boaz said to her come, her come over here. Have some bread and dip the wine in the vinegar. What is that? Bread and wine. Come on y'all. That's the the communion supper where we receive the blessing of God. Where we receive Christ. Where we receive our inheritance. When she had sat down with the harvesters he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted. Had some left over. As she got up to glean Boaz gave orders to his men let her gather the sheaves. And don't reprimand her. In other words no more after you have a covenant with God. The meal signifies she's in covenant with God. After God accepts you and you accept me, there's no more picking up leftovers. You have a seat at the Father's table. You can sit down and dine now. So she came into covenant with God through that simple meal, just obeying in that simple meal. And Boaz saw how she obeyed him. And he says, you got full rights as a daughter of God now. You can go and get a sheave of wheat. You can get as much as you want. You take what you need for your own provision. So she was able to go back. With Ruth and she gleaned in that field until evening. Her mother-in-law asked her in verse 19. Where did you glean? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Because she sees how much she comes back with him. And so Naomi explains to her. She says in verse 20, he said, this man is a close relative of ours. He is one of our guardian redeemers or kinsman redeems. In other words, he's holding property that belongs to us. And when we make claim for it, he is the one who will facilitate everything we need to get our full inheritance. Boaz is a type of Christ. 
He's not just somebody's man that they marrying. You know what I'm saying? Let's not just cheapen it, okay? Let's keep it holy. And so he says, Ruth tells her, it'll be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's fields you might be harmed. In other words, you can't just go everywhere. When you're saved, you belong to God, you go where God tells you to go. Man, the roof stayed close to the women to glean, and the barley harvest was finished. So one night, then one day in verse chapter three, Ruth's mother-in-law said to Naomi, "said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for." So in other words, it's time for you to get married, Ruth. She's been gleaning all this time. She's been getting as much as she wanted, but that is not enough. She got to have her own stuff. You got me. This is a transition place where God, you notice when you first get saved, you ask God, can I have this, can I have that? You get it and then all of a sudden he says, I'm going to put you in a better place now. I'm going to put you in a place where you're ruler over what you have. And so you know the story. Naomi uh, instructs Ruth in the custom, the Hebrew custom of letting Uh, the kinsman redeemer know that you want your property redeemed and she tells him to go down to the threshing floor where he is she uncovers his feet and what that means is remember feet represent possession of land she uncovers his feet and that's a signal to him that I want you to help me possess the land that I have coming to me from my dead husband they find out the next day Boaz tells her I will gladly redeem the land for you you've done everything I've told you to do you haven't strayed around you seem to be even though you're a Moabite you seem to be a nice girl because you're obedient to what I know will make a good wife. And so he lets her know there's somebody else that has first dibs on the family property other than me. I'll talk to him in the morning. And if he says he does not want to redeem the land, this married man no doubt is married already and has a family. Hebrew custom is you cannot take two wives. But Boaz is not married. And so this man steps down. Boaz steps up. And then Ruth claims the family inheritance that would have come to her had her husband lived. Death of somebody who is dear to you does never make you broke and poor. Let me just say it like that. Because many times people don't understand what they have in God when a spouse dies. Especially if you're a Christian. You know you think oh boy I'll never make it. It's going to be so tough. and It's going to be so hard. God then becomes your maker becomes your husband. You're in great shape to get your inheritance. God does not cut you out of an inheritance just because you you outlive your spouse. You know it can work the same thing if it's a man and a wife. You know two are better than one. You usually have a better return for your labor. But if a spouse is missing then you might suffer a temporary loss. But I'm telling you God will bring that back to you. Just like he did to Ruth. You know she was not in line for inheritance and she was a stranger and a foreigner she just married a man that she took a liking to and then she wound up receiving all of this and then some people look at the story of Boaz and Ruth as Ruth being some poor broke girl that's just begging for a man so she can get somebody to take care of her that ain't right 
You know, I see all these little Facebook posts. I want my Boaz. Yeah, because you're broke. Ruth had money, honey. I don't know what you're talking about. She just had to go through the legal channels to get it. But she was in the will already because she married into a good family. And so we have to remember these things, folks. You're, we're not just broke beggars out here, you know, begging for something. We we are already included in an inheritance in God amen why don't we stop father we thank you for your word and for understanding and for the ways of God that is so clearly explained to us in your word we thank you for your word father it surely points to Christ points to everything that we need thank you Lord our needs are met in a great way in a miraculous way in a very fulfilling way so we thank you for all that you do for us lord in jesus name amen and praise god amen if anybody needs